Well, if you would keep your bulletin out or your Bible out, turn to uh, Luke 1 and Matthew 1 as we think together about this very familiar story. Uh, Last week, we heard that after John the Baptizer was born, by the way, that's what Presbyterians call him, John the Baptizer. We don't want to confuse anybody, you know. It's a pastor joke. So after John the Baptizer was born, uh, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, it said, that because of the tender mercy of our God, Jesus would come to give light to those who sit in darkness and those who sit in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, See, the birth of the king was not for the well-thought-of. It was not for the well-to-do. It was not for the well-bred. It was not for the well-put-together. Jesus came for those who sit in darkness. Jesus came for those who sit in the shadow of death. He came for those who are struggling to find the way of peace. So this morning, as we look at another story um, and consider the wonder of the welcome of Jesus, I want to encourage you that if your story is full of darkness and death, if your story seems to be empty of peace, then Jesus welcomes you into his story. Um, this week, uh, a guy by an uh, Anglican priest by the name of Sam Albury tweeted this. He said, uh, O come all ye faithless, joyless and defeated, come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. O come all ye faithless, joyless and defeated. And then he said, Christmas is for the weary, for the messed up, and for the broken. And he finished with this. He said, if your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. Let's pray. Father, we are weary and messed up and broken. Our lives are not Instagrammable. Um, we, we sit in darkness. We, we sit in the shadow of death. We, we struggle to find the way of peace. We, we need the light of Jesus to come and shine in us and on us. So we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would come today and shine. Let your word open our hearts so that we might trust this Jesus whom you have sent into our story to invite us into his. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, um, I don't know about you, but like Mary... I'm greatly troubled by Gabriel's greeting. Let me remind you what he said. Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, If Mary was troubled with Gabriel's greeting at this point in the story, think about when he finishes his little announcement, how troubled 
she will be at this greeting. Favored? Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. Yes, she's been chosen to give birth to the promised Messiah. That's favor. Yes, she will be the mother of the king who will sit on David's throne forever. She has God's favor. Yes, this is the moment the world has been waiting for. And yes, Mary will play a significant role in this drama that God has been unfolding. All of that is what it looks like to live under God's favor. But doing all that, it will cost her. And it will cost her dearly. My, uh, my good friend Steve Williamson said this about the story of Mary and Joseph. He said, Jesus, Jesus entering your life always creates problems. Jesus doing a fresh work in your life will always com- uh, create complications. So having the favor of God doesn't mean like the TV preachers will tell you that they get a first-class seat on the airplane that they didn't pay for. Okay, Having the favor of God will wreck your life. Just ask Joseph and Mary. It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. And Joseph and Mary did not live, live a silent life. When God caught up their little story into his larger story, it changed everything. It was not what they expected. When God sent Jesus to turn the world right side up, he turned their lives upside down. Simeon, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, would later tell Mary, he would say, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary, mother of Jesus. So yes, Mary found favor with God. She lived under the grace of God, and the Lord was with her. But a sword was going to pierce her soul. So think, let's think for a few minutes about uh, what it was like when Jesus came into Joseph and Mary's life and wrecked it. Um, my friend and my former Bible professor, Dr. Gary Phillips, who could possibly be preaching over at Signal Mountain Bible Church right now. He had a great uh, a little description of what Mary uh, might have been going through um, as she carried baby Jesus. He said, Mary had her life planned out in the way we all nurture future expectations. He said, I would speculate that her plans included these things. Number one, I will marry Joseph the carpenter. Now, they were betrothed, okay, and and for us, that's a little different than engagement. A betrothal in that day uh, could only be broken by divorce. So it was a marriage commitment, but not yet consummated. So there was a a period of time, a betrothal period, where they were covenanted together, uh, but it was not the full marriage. And so at the end of the betrothal time, 
um, the groom would throw a party and come and get the bride and take, it, take her to the home that he had prepared for her. Um, so she expected, I will marry Joseph the carpenter. Number two, I will have several children. This would be normal uh, for a girl to expect. Number three, I will build friendships with other women in Nazareth. That's what you do. You're a family, a community. Number four, she might expect, um, I will enjoy a reasonably long life, hopefully with Joseph, our children, and our grandchildren, whose lives will be relatively free from trouble. And Dr. Phillips says he had to add that because that's what every parent desires. Um, and then number five, uh, Mary may have expected this, I will be respected in the community where I build my life. And Dr. Phillips says, well, if we speculate a little bit, she may have even thought, you know, I love weddings. One day, maybe I'll be a wedding planner and I'll invite my son to help me with the beverages. Yeah. Read John chapter 2. Um, I will be respected in the community where I build my life. So he, he goes on to say, whatever she might have included on her list, Mary would certainly have expectations and hopes for her life. And then the angel showed up, and God the Spirit implanted the divine seed within her. Her statement of submission, be it done to me, as you say, is one of the most potentially costly statements of commitment to God's will contained in the Bible. So, then he continues to imagine, how would this commitment uh, derail all her plans, at least as far as she knew? So, those were her expectations, but this is how those expectations may not be fulfilled. Uh, number one, marriage to Joseph? No, certainly he would refuse her now. Is he really going to believe? Uh, yes, I am with child and God did it. Number two, future children? No, marriage would be out of the question now and no one else would have her. Number three, friendships with other women? No, she'd be a moral outcast. In her community. Number four, future, ha uh, future happy family life? No. She had to give those dreams up. Number five, future respect in the community? No. In fact, after the baby was born, she could have even been stoned as an adulteress, according to the law. So this favor of God on Mary's life wrecked her life. What about Joseph? Unlike Mary, poor Joseph doesn't even get a warning. The, the angel didn't show up until after he had found out that his bride-to-be was found with child. So after Joseph had heard the news that his bride-to-be was pregnant, and that the best story she could come up with was, oh yeah, God did this, and the baby is going to be the Messiah, by the way. After that, Gabriel told him what was going on. Gabriel waited until after Joseph had wrestled with what to do about this. 
How do I do the right thing and also protect Mary from unnecessary shame? The only choice I have, I guess, is to divorce her quietly. He wasn't selfish about it all, but he had to think about, you know, Joseph's story uh, comprises a few verses that take about a minute and a half to read. But we have to remember that there was a time of struggle going on in his life. What is going on here? And he didn't get any kind of help from the angel beforehand. So after all of that, now God lets him in on the story. So Mary and Joseph, wow. Um, I think what I've drawn from this story this year is that when God shows you his favor, when he says that he's with you, when he gives you the gracious gift of Jesus, it sometimes will feel like he's wrecking your life. Um, I know a young woman who dated a young man for several years. She kept herself pure. She prayed for him. She told him about Jesus. She showed him a heart that pursued Jesus. He showed interest in following Jesus at first, but eventually decided he didn't want to follow Jesus like she does, and so he broke off the relationship. So she was left with a choice. Do I choose Jesus and lose this one that I love, this other one that I love, or do I choose the young man and turn away from my commitment to Christ? She knew, she felt, she verbalized that choice. And she chose Jesus and let the other love go. Sometimes it feels like death to trust Jesus. This weekend, Christine and I sat across from a mother and father who uh, about four years ago watched their 14-year-old daughter die from complications due to the flu. I was there too. And I watched them sob, laying their bodies over her lifeless body and sobbing and grieving. And as we looked at them over the table yesterday, you could hear in the voice, you can see in their eyes, you could hear in their stories that there is a deep, pain-rooted joy that they have. And then, at lunch yesterday, we sat across from a woman who, after a long, successful career in the oil industry, was systematically shut out, lied about, and eventually let go by her new young boss. Totally self-serving, totally in unjust, you know what she said? I think God knew that I needed to know that my identity was not to be wrapped up in my work. How do people talk like this? <laughs> How do people still trust Jesus when he's wrecked their lives? 
Jesus is a gift of God's grace, but sometimes to receive a, gr- a gift, you've got to let go of what you're holding. And as we see with Joseph and Mary and with ourselves, sometimes the favor of God comes with things that put fear in your heart. And that's why Gabriel told, told both Mary and Joseph, do not be afraid. Because folks, let's be real. Trusting Jesus, following Jesus, is a scary thing. So then what is Jesus up to in them and in us? Well, remember, he's the son of a carpenter, right? And so he's up to something. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this wonderful, wonderful illustration in his book, Mere Christianity. Listen to what he says. He says, And think about Jesus as the carpenter. Lewis says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised by that. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live it in himself. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. You knew Jesus was going to have to make some changes in your life. But wow, this is an extreme home makeover. Jesus came to renew all things. He came to renew all things. He came to make all things new, starting with the hearts of his people. And in order to restore and renew Mary and Joseph and their world, Jesus had to wreck it. Renovation starts with demolition. In order to mend Mary and Joseph's hearts, he had to tear them apart. You may know that throughout church history, Mary has been called the Greek word, the theotokos, which means God-bearer. Mary has been called the God-bearer. But there's a sense in which every follower of Jesus is a theotokos. We're all God-bearers because Christ is being formed in us. Paul said in Galatians 4.19 that he, Paul, was in the pain of childbearing, labor pains, until Christ was formed in his people, in his churches. Christ is being formed in us so that we might bear him for the sake of the world. Romans 18, Paul says that Christ is in you. So if, Christ is at, if God is at work to form Christ in us, then it's going to require demolition and renovation. Um, the process is pain, painful, but the final product is glorious. And it will sometimes feel like we're being wrecked. 
Now, if you watch those renovation shows on HGTV or whatever, you know it always happens. And it's almost like they plan for it to happen, but it always happens. Once the demolition begins, there's always a deeper problem. Oh, look, asbestos. That's going to cost you another five grand. Oh, look, the foundation is cracked over here. That's going to cost you. Oh, look, there's rotten wood everywhere. Um, th there always seems to be something deeper. And in this case, there is. The names of, the uh, of this newborn King Jesus reveal what the problem is, what the deeper problem is, and why God's people need to be renovated and renewed. Remember, in Matthew, um, the angel said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Behold, uh, and all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So those two names taken together tell us that because of our sin, God himself had to take on humanity in order to restore and renew us. Our sin has wrecked us, and in order to be restored, now God must be wrecked. Well, that's an interesting twist on the story, isn't it? Uh, in your bulletin, if you look on, what page is that? Page five, where the sermon notes are. I put in there one of my favorite poems. Now, that makes it sound like I read a lot of them. I don't, but this has been one of my favorites for years. And um, I want you to read along with me. I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to read along with me. Listen to this beautiful way that Lucy Shaw describes the incarnation, God becoming human, and then the punchline at the end. Uh, by the way, before I read, uh, I had to look up, what is homespun? Uh, blue homespun. Homespun is a, is a, a textile, it's a cloth um, that was used maybe to wrap up little babies, but... Um, that's what she's talking about when she talks about blue homespun. Blue homespun and the bend of my breast keep warm this small, hot, naked star fallen to my arms. Rest, you who have had so far to come. Now nearness satisfies the body of God sweetly. Quiet he lies whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps whose eyelids have not closed before. His breath, so slight it seems no breath at all, once ruffled the dark deeps to sprout a world. Charmed by doves' voices, the whisper of straw, he dreams. Hearing no music from his other spheres, breath, mouth, ears, eyes, he is curtailed who overflowed all skies, all years. Older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth 
for me to be newborn and for me to see and for him to see me mended i must see him torn for him to see me mended i must see him torn in order to mend us god has to be torn in order to restore and renew and re- renovate us god must be wrecked And again, the names given to this carpenter's son teach us what it would take to make sinners new quickly. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, This this name emphasizes that Jesus is God in the flesh, the in the flesh part. He had to be one of us in order to stand in our place. Paul said in Romans 8, um, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. God had to become flesh to be God with us. St. Gregory uh, was known to say that what God did not assume, he could not redeem. So God had to assume humanity in order to redeem humanity. Humanity. Jesus had to be made like us in order to redeem us, and yet we know that Hebrews tells us he was like us, yet not with, uh, yet without sin. So he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's God in the flesh, but he's also Jesus, which means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. So he's not only God in the flesh, he's God. In the flesh. He's Yahweh in the flesh. And he has to be God. Remember, Mary said this God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Uh, She's hearkening back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And remember, we've talked about this. In Genesis 15, remember the story Uh, God put Abraham to sleep. God took animals, or he had told Abraham to take animals and cut them in half and lay the pieces apart. God put Abraham to sleep, and then God walked between the pieces of the animals that had been torn. That was how you made a covenant in those days. And remember what we said, that what God was promising to Abraham and to his offspring forever was this, that if I break this covenant, or if you break this covenant, since I'm not making you walk through these pieces, may it be done to me. May I be torn apart. May blood be shed by me. How would he do that? How would God, a spirit, do that? Unless he took on human flesh. And so, he would receive upon himself the consequences for our failure to keep the covenant. Yahweh saves. Only God could save us. Only God in the flesh could save us and renew us and restore us. In order for us to be renewed, God has to be wrecked. And he was wrecked in Jesus. And so then how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this good news? It's clear to me that the Holy Spirit through Luke wants to highlight this response of God's people uh, to Jesus coming into the world. Because in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story and in Mary's story, he, 
he talks about something that's very similar. Listen, listen to this. What was the difference between Zechariah's question to Gabriel after he got the news and Mary's question to Gabriel after she got the news? Listen to this. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife has advanced in years. And the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah asked, how am I going to know this? And the angel takes that question as unbelief. Mary also asked a question when she was told this news. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And later on, Elizabeth confirmed that, well, first of all, Gabriel didn't smite her for unbelief. Later on, her cousin Elizabeth said, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Both of them questioned the news from God. One was unbelief and the other was belief. Two different questions. Um, Zechariah's was, I need proof. Mary's was, I just want to know how. I don't doubt that you're going to do this, but... Have you, do you know the science? The issue is, will we believe the word of God and submit to it, even as he's wrecking our lives? Mary's response was, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your word, even if it wrecks my life, my reputation, my plans, my comforts. What was Joseph's response? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to her son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph's response was essentially the same as Mary's. Only he showed it by his actions. He obeyed. I think what Jesus the carpenter wants as a response from us when he comes in and starts doing his demolition and renovation is, trust me, I'm making you new. Trust me with this. I'm making you new. And you can trust me because I was wrecked for you. You can trust the one who came to renew and to renovate your life. You can trust the one who was wrecked to rid you of sin and its corruption even when it feels like he's wrecking your life. Remember, he was wrecked for those things that are your deepest problem. So you can trust his love for you now as you face the pain of the demolition and renovation that he is doing until Christ is formed in you.
And friends, uh, one day I was visiting a, another PCA church in the Dallas area, and they were doing some renovations in their worship area, and there was a sign on the door that said, please excuse the mess while renovations are underway. Um, Renovations are messy, and we are all under renovation uh, by the carpenter Jesus. And so, we need to welcome each other in our mess. And this is the kind of church we want to be. I, I think it's the kind of church you are. <laughs> but we want to continue to be people who understand that Jesus is doing some heavy construction in our lives. And it's, it's messy sometimes. And it's okay because God is at work. And we can trust that God has been wrecked for us so we can trust what he's doing in us now. And so I want to encourage us as we come together to this table um, as a family, that we as a family continue to give each other the grace of being a mess while God is working on us. Um, I'll, I'll give you that grace. You give me that grace. Let's give each other the grace of being a mess because Mountain Fellowship is under renovation all the time. It has been for seven years, and it will continue to be. So welcome, friends, to the mess. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this good news. Uh, that this table reminds us that Jesus was torn so that we might be mended. That he was wrecked so that we could be renewed. Thank you, God. Thank you for this bread and this cup and how they picture for us. Uh, we can feel them, we can taste, we can smell, uh, we can handle, even as we hear the good news, we can we can hold it and remember that Jesus is at work to renew all things, starting with us. So take this bread and cup and set them apart from their normal everyday use and let them be for us a sign and a seal of the promise that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.